Welcome to the Retro Football Network podcast. It's Gary Cook and it's great to be back because it's been a fair while, to be honest, since we had Kevin Toms on back in December. This is episode nine and our guest today is someone that's been commentating since the end of the 1980s. When you hear his name, I'm sure you'll be familiar with him because of his work on radio and on television. He's going to talk to us about Howard Wilkinson, Eric Cantona, Sir Alex Ferguson, Jeff Stelling and also Sid Waddell as well. There's a little bit of a clue there. Not only is he a commentator, but he's also a subscriber to my retro football content as well that comes out five times a week. Um, you can join in the nostalgia at retrofootballnetwork.substack.com and I'll put a link in the show notes as well for you to check that out. So let's meet our guest for today. It's a massive welcome to Rod Studd. Rod, big welcome to you today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure, Gary. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, me too. Um, every guest I have on, I always start with the same question. Tell me about how you fell in love with football. What's what's your first memories of football? Well, the first football I can remember going to watch was way back, and it's a long, long time ago now, 1974. I can barely believe it myself. And my, my dad supported Bristol Rovers, and he took me to watch an epic second division game between Oxford United, because we lived in Banbury, and Bristol Rovers. Now, I remember as years go by, constantly being reminded that I fell asleep, which may not be surprising, really, when it was Oxford and Bristol Rovers, yeah. But uh, I do remember that starring for Oxford United that day was big Ron Atkinson. Oh, what? (laughs) But uh, Oxford won the game 2-1, and uh, that was the year, you may remember, uh, Manchester United were in the second division that season. Yeah won the second division that season That's but right. could only could i just looked up the results uh this afternoon before chatting to you gary but they could only draw with bristol rovers away from home so um but uh, they did win the championship or the second division championship then as it was man united that year but I, that's the first football i went to see and then yeah. after that i'm not quite sure why but i was drawn to man united like a lot of young kids they, they still had that glamorous image didn't they in the mid 70s and yeah. i started kind of half following man united i do remember crying when they lost 1976 FA Cup final, yeah. you know, Bobby Stokes was offside, as we all know, but, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I, I do remember that and then winning the cup in 77, you know, and, and stuff like that. And then after that, we, we moved quite near to Manchester to Northwich where, because my dad, my dad was a teacher and he changed jobs. So we went to Northwich. So I started following Northwich, but also what me and my dad used to do because the Northwest, as you're fully aware, a hotbed of football, yeah. you know, so we used to go almost to a random game every Saturday. We'd have a look at the fixtures on the Tuesday and Wednesday and say, well, where do we go this week? And, you know, we'd go to uh, Oldham or Man City or or Bolton, you know, any of those Northwest teams that we could go and see. Now, I do remember also when I was kind of like shifting through my memory this afternoon, going to watch Bolton v Tottenham in what was the second division in the top of the table game in 77-78 season. I just had a look at the the teams that were playing and you know, some people might remember some of these names. You know, Big Sam Allardyce was playing. Peter Reid, these are for Bolton. Neil Watmore. Yep. Willie Morgan was playing, formerly of Man United. And then for Spurs, a very young Glenn Hoddle. Neil McNabb, Barry Danes was in goal. So these were legends of those two clubs. And you know, I remember Bolton beating Tottenham on the way to getting promoted. I think both yep. teams went went up that year, to That's be fair. Did, yeah. But, you know, that, that was really, you know, great, great times not just in Northwest football, but for football generally. And I loved it. I, we, we'd go every every weekend or as many weekends as we could to a random game in the Northwest, you know, and, and it was great fun. And that, that's how I really sort of started to fall in love with football. Well, the thing was as well at that time, you could just turn up, pay on the turnstile, you got no problems. And you said about Manchester City, even though they're a top flight club, you could pay on the, the door. Old Trafford, you could pay on the door as well. Yeah, there were certain matches you'd get locked out, of course, but there were a lot of matches you just turn up and you could pay just like yeah, that. You, people oh. might see me droning on on Twitter at the moment saying, oh, I can't get tickets for Huddersfield versus because one of our lads supports Huddersfield for some reason. And, uh, you know, you can't just... I just yearn for the days where you could say, I fancy going down to Oakwell, Barnsley are playing uh, Bristol Rovers, we're going to we'll wander down there, you know, pay whatever yeah. it was on the gate and go in. Yeah. You know, which you could do up until fairly recently. Now it's all on the internet. They want your data. You've got to be a member of every club before you go in. Some of them charge you to be a member, as you know. And, I, you it's know, it, maybe it's just an age thing and maybe it's nostalgia, but it just seems so much better when you thought, I'm going to go to Boundary Park. 
Yeah. You know, you set off at one o'clock, get there at quarter to two, wander in, pay a ten quid, and stand there and watch the Latics play, whoever it was. You know. Yeah. And what when you think about some of them games, can you you talked about the Bolton one and Tottenham? Have you got any other memories of that period? I remember that one quite quite vividly. I don't know why it was a one nil to Bolton, but I do remember that game. Yeah. Uh, I started in the early eighties. I don't know why. I just fancied a change of just supporting a team almost at random. And I yeah. had a look down at some fixtures. I thought, I'm going to support Barnsley. Now, don't ask me why. I don't know why. Because we lived, we lived in Norwich and it was yeah. a little bit of a schlep to get across the Pennines, past Stockport, across yeah. the Pennines to Oakwell. But I, we started watching Barnsley and I, I kind of fell in love with them. They, they, were, they were a good team in the 80s. Uh, you know, Ronnie Glavin, anyone that watched Barnsley or followed football yeah. in the second division will remember people like Ronnie Glavin. Ian Banks, Mick McCarthy was playing, yeah. Trevor Aylott. You know, they were they were a good side, an attractive side. And I used to really enjoy our, our trips to Oakwell. So I, I remember those quite strongly. And even though the first game I saw was a nil-nil at home to Cambridge United. But it's funny, isn't it? It doesn't put you off. <laughs> you know, think most people, you turn up at Oakwell, they have a naught-naught as, uh, uh, you know, Brian Clough and people and, you know, uh, the old commentators would call it a naught-naught. And it, it, it was terrible. It didn't put me off. I just wanted more and more of it, you know. So... So I, I watched them a lot in the 80s, and I really enjoyed that. I had a lot of fun watching Barnsley in those days. I was talking to somebody once. He, he's a Coventry fan, and he was saying, like, the first game he went to, they were dreadful. They lost at home. And he just went, well, it can't get much worse, so I'll just try it again next time. And he, that was it. How it, how it started for him. Yeah. So I know exactly it, what you mean. It's funny because I, I do believe that, as football supporters, we're always craving, you know, the, the big one, the great night, you know, the legendary moment, you know, and, and Man United would have been at the new Camp, obviously, in 99, yeah. you know, and how can it get better than that? I mean, how can it get better than that? Yeah, now, yeah. As, I, as I mentioned, um, my, my dad was a Bristol Rovers fan and we, we uh, he uh, he died in 2019 and we wanted to go down to, to Rovers to, you know, raise a glass to him. So we went down and we were going to the last day of the season, I think in 2020, COVID, etc. And it got pushed back, pushed back. And in the end, we went to the last game of the season, which would have been 22. And it was when they played Scunthorpe at home. Oh, there, the 7 0, was it? It was indeed. I mean, I've never said anything like it. Never yeah. said anything like it in my life. You know, I mean, it was just like every time you thought, well, this is, there's no chance now. They'd bang another goal in, and, and the dream would carry on for a few more minutes. And eventually, they got the seventh late on. And um, we went, me, me and my wife and our two boys, and uh, Joe, the oldest one, I think he thought, after I mean, watching that, that this kind of thing happens all the time. <laughs> you know? and, I'm, and so he goes, I'm going to start supporting Bristol Rovers. I said, Joe, this doesn't happen all the time. You know, that, that might well be the greatest game you'll ever see if you live to 110. You know, that might be it, mate. Exactly. So, but, you know, so it, those, those great moments, you know, are what football fans crave, aren't they? And once yeah, you've had sure. it once, it's very difficult to get it again, isn't it? But we, yeah. we keep going back craving it again, you know. And of course, you know, we're, we're talking, what, 20, 25 years on from that night in the new Camp. You yeah. know, and United, even a great club like Manchester United have never had anything like that again. No. But yeah, but it, you know, you keep turning lost, up hoping you lost, will. Though, to be honest, in 2008, it was a penalty shootout. It wasn't the same no. for me personally. I don't think it was the same. It didn't feel the same because it was a different way to win it. I, I, penalty shootouts, for me, it doesn't feel the same. You know, it's, it's the game no, was a draw. They're contrived, I, I, aren't they? Yeah, there it feels feels tainted, but it's interesting what you said. Just because in the in the nineties um, as well for me, my best friend at the time uh, was a supporter of Chesterfield, and um, when I didn't go to watch my team, I'd go and watch Chesterfield with him. Right. And um, often it fell that my team was away, so I went to Chesterfield with him. That worked out well, or midweek games, etc. And of course, they had the fantastic cup run in ninety-seven. So I went, I, to a lot of, I went to a lot of those games. I went to the uh, semi-final at Old Trafford as well. But when they beat Wrexham in the sixth round, and he just stood there, nearly 21 years old, and he just cried his eyes out. Yeah. And there were grown men crying. And his dad said, it doesn't get better than this, does it? it they're in the semi-final FA Cup. And after that, mm. they just didn't expect anything. Drawing, I mean, they should have beaten Middlesbrough, really. But the point was, at that point, they got to get to the semi-final of the FA Cup. That felt like their final. They'd won it almost. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. They didn't expect anything. So they were just grown men crying. And that was their, that was their moment. And obviously, after that, then they've had all this trouble with being in non-league since then. Yeah. 
that was the their greatest thing and you can see why people still talk about it today i mean uh, as we're talking today on the 25th of january tomorrow is the anniversary of york beating arsenal in the fa cup i've, I've written about it which will come out tomorrow and for York City to beat Arsenal, I mean, they later beat United as well in the League Cup, but yeah. at that point in 1985, to beat Arsenal in the FA Cup, that was massive. I remember it, yeah. I do, I do remember it. I was at university in York a little later than that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, am I right in remembering or have I misremembered Keith Houchin, was it? He did, he scored the penalty in the last Yeah, week. that was it, right. It was Keith Houchin, right. I've, yeah, I've exactly. my memories working, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely, but... Those those are, are just legendary occasions, and, and for York, yeah. it hasn't got any better than that, has it? In fact, quite the contrary. You mentioned like Chesterfield, not only York spiralled yeah. into decline as well, didn't they? Yeah. You know, I mean, so that great day they won at Old Trafford in the League Cup against pretty much a, a United kids back in the mid nineties, but um, which was great for a great occasion for them. But obviously, they've hit hard times as well and fallen down into non-league as well. So. Yeah. I've got, you, you know, I mentioned Barnsley a bit, but I, I also said we'd move to Norfolk. I've got to, I've got to mention the other great days watching Norfolk Victoria in the early eighties yeah. because, I mean, I mean, I've still got all the scrapbooks of all the programs of the of the year they won the FA Trophy in nineteen eighty three, eighty four. You know, you talk about a great night. They they drew at Wembley and they had to play Bangor City in the replay at Stoke, the Victoria Ground, mm. as where Stoke played then. And, you know, they went behind, equalised with a penalty and scored the winning goal, you know, in the last minute. And, you know, it, I mean, it wasn't quite United with two goals in the last minute, but, you know, and Solskjaer has won it. It was and John Anderson has won it. I mean, you know, and, and those, you know, that, that I, I haven't been able to get that moment again. You know, I was 16 at the time and Norfolk's won the FA Trophy and I, I can remember it I, well, I, I can remember it quite well. You know, I was, yeah. remember clambering on top of the dugout and dancing around and being told to get down off there by a police officer. But, you know, Norfolk have gone into decline and it's very difficult to get those moments again. I mean, yeah. some some football fans and football clubs are lucky to have them over and over again, you know. I know. But, right. but, but even, even, even Man City, with all their success recently, you know, the Aguero moment is still the moment, isn't it? They, they, I mean, obviously, I mean, they they had, had the year, I'd be quite interested to see what people, city, city fans think. Was the treble, you know, when, when they won the European Cup, as I still call it, um, was that better than Aguero? I mean, I would, I would think it probably, probably isn't, because Aguero just was so many years of history banished, wasn't it? Yeah, and also in the manner that they won it. Yes, in the manner they won it, yeah. As well, being two one down and the last minute and doing it like that, they, they couldn't. That adrenaline and that feeling, as I say, to like to put all the exercise, the ghosts a little bit at that point, it's never going to be the same winning the league by 15 points. That's not going to be the same feeling. And and just simply cruising to the treble maybe didn't even feel like it, especially no. because they may be, I don't know, maybe they're taking it for granted as well. I mean, that's what happens with football. Yeah. United went through that in the 90s and early 2000s where people started taking it for granted. I think even the players said that Dwight York asked for a year off after the treble. Yeah, he went to Alex Ferguson and wanted a year off football just because he just felt like, well, what more can I do? What I can I do? Yeah. <laughs> we've done, we've done it. You know, what, yeah. what do you do? But I mean, the, I mean, in the in the treble year for United, there was a glorious brinkmanship to to most of it towards the back end, wasn't there? Yeah, got, and you know, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you know Man City were far and away the best team in the last season, and you know they, they won those three trophies. As you say, with with a minimum of fuss, really. Yeah. But for United, they were always on the edge, and there was kind of a cavalier, swashbuckling style to it, wasn't there? Constantly. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I was at some of those games because I was working. But the the uh, the FA Cup, when I mean, that semi final was you know was lost, really, wasn't it? It was lost when Keane got sent off. Yeah, it was lost when they conceded the penalty right at the end. Yeah, you know. So, but somehow they won games that they appeared to have lost, and the epitome of that, of course, was the European Cup final, where the game was finished. Exactly. I mean, they had the same thing in the fourth round against Liverpool. They were losing yes. one with just a couple of minutes left. And yeah, pulled it round. I was looking at that actually today, and it's like the forgotten game, isn't it? When they, yeah. again they scored two goals in the last couple of minutes, and again it was Solskjaer with Solskjaer. the winning goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was, I was at that one as well. Yeah, so, so yeah, so there's a lot of moments that season where. Like you say, it was just it could have gone either way, and the Bergkamp penalty miss is, is one of them. Well, penalty save, sorry, Peter Smichael saved it. So yeah, so, yeah you've got a, a lot of things like that. Um, you just mentioned then you went to university in York. 
were you studying to you know what were you studying would you believe politics oh really okay <laughs> yeah i actually studied politics you know I, I had quite a you know big interest in politics at the time and still do to a degree but uh you know so i was studying that and but at the same time i was doing a lot of student radio and student newspaper stuff as well so i yeah. was involved in you know amateur media kind of stuff so i was i was already interested in in the media and had an inkling that that's what i wanted to do yeah. So although the subject I was studying has got absolutely nothing to do with what I ended up with doing, um, the stuff on the periphery certainly had. Yeah. So after university then, you didn't become an MP. What happened no, next? I don't think I'd get elected as an MP. <laughs> uh, I, ca I came out of university uh, in the summer of 1989 with a kind of, well, something will turn up attitude. And... Uh, I remember my dad saying, well, what are you actually going to do for a job? And I went, oh, I know, something, something in the media. And it was in those days, uh, there was a thing called the Media Guardian, which came out in The Guardian when it was a page, right. when it was a newspaper and you had to go through all the pages, not this internet yeah. business. And, you know, that was a supplement that had it on the, and anyone that wanted to employ someone in the media would advertise in there. So mm -hmm. I saw a job for uh, a radio station in Leeds called Radio Air, which was that yeah. wanted a news and sports trainee. And so I went for it and managed to uh, blag my way through an interview and get, get a job, which started in July 1989. So that was off and yeah. running. I, I was very lucky, really, that that job was there. And I think I was quite lucky that I managed to convince them that I might have some idea what I might be doing, which so was tenuous, to say the least. Did you, after that, were you covering Leeds itself or were you just in the background? What? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was in the, uh, the, the the kind of late eighties and nineties was very much a, a glory era for local radio when independent mm. local radio stations were all doing a lot of sport. You know, Piccadilly Radio in Manchester, Radio City in Liverpool, yeah. uh, King King of the Lot was Capital Radio in London, where yeah. you know Jonathan Pierce was was ruling the roost and was the doyen of commentators in, in local radio. Dave Clark, who later went on to work at Sky, famously. Yeah and present their darts coverage was involved with Jonathan at Capital. So it was a great time. And uh, Leeds were then in the second division and That's Radio right. Air was doing commentary. So yeah, I was straight into the thick of it. And the first match I went to do was at um, St. James Park, Newcastle, where the first game of that season, 89-90, where Leeds were taken apart. And I think it was 5-2. Oh, Mickey Quinn. Mickey, Mickey Quinn ran riot. Yeah. Uh, and, and Leeds were absolutely annihilated and... Howard Wilkinson was going absolutely berserk, but you know, it was certainly not representative of what would happen for the rest of the season yeah. because Leeds ended up winning the title, second division right. title. That match, I believe, was on my birthday. Actually, the same that Mickey Quinn game. Was it really? Mickey yeah. Quinn thought it was his birthday. I think the way Leeds was defending. <laughs> I think it's, if I remember rightly, I think it's the same day as when Michael Knighton came out and juggled the ball at Old Trafford. Was it, was it really? And then that's, I, have that's, feeling, that's, it, I have a feeling it is, it's, which was my birthday. So Now there's an article for you. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's... Because yeah. um, we were we run listening to the radio after the game, and I'm sure they'd said that like Mickey Quinn had scored... Did he score three or four? I don't, can't remember. Uh, he that trick, I think, at least. I think it, yeah, you got at least three. Yeah. I'd have to look it up again. It's, sometimes your memory plays tricks on you, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's three or four, but I know they hammered him. But as you said, it, it didn't reflect on it. And of course, they'd got Gordon Strachan had moved there earlier on in the year from Old Trafford to Leeds. Yeah, as well, so. yeah. With, the, with the job really of getting Leeds back into the first division. I mean, they'd been yeah. languishing. I think they went down off memory in 82, did they? Something like 82, 81, 82 season. I yeah, think. I, I think that's when it was. So they'd been stuck in the second division yeah. for, for some considerable time. And, you know, it wasn't deemed satisfactory. And they'd got Wilkinson in there to get him out of that division. They'd tried yeah. quite a few ex-players as managers, haven't they, I yeah, think, over the time. And in the end, they, they wanted to go for the tried and tested, you know, expert in getting out of these divisions in, in Howard yeah. Wilkinson. So they got him in and they got, you know, Strachan in, as you said. Uh, you know, they, I mean, and they brought in a number of players. Vinnie Jones was hauled in. Yeah. But you know, in the end, they got the job done that season, and That's uh, right. and went and went up. Well, we we at the time we were able to get Yorkshire Television on a really snowy, frosty, bad picture, but watchable just through the aerial. And they used to do a program on a Sunday afternoon called Goals on Sunday, 
Yes. And it was, I think it might have been Nick Powell presented it. Yeah, it could well have been. Nick was definitely at Calendar. Yeah, I days. think it was. Think Yorkshire it was, TV's news service, yeah. I think it was Nick Powell who did it. And um, what John they Helm would have been commentating, would he? Yeah, John Elm was always there. Yeah, yeah And they yeah. used to show you, obviously, one game was like the main game, which was yeah. normally Leeds or Sheffield United because they were both battling for promotion and together. And then afterwards, it'd go to it show you Barnsley. If Barnsley had like Steve Vagnew was playing, that, that, yeah, he was a good player. I think David Curry probably, David may Curry, have yeah, I don't know if he'd left and or did he go back? I don't know. He played for Forest for well, he didn't play, did he? he went to Forest, but he never played, did he? Yeah, Curry, Curry was late, late 80s, certainly for my recollection of Barnsley. Yeah, he yeah. was a playboy, wasn't he, with the curly hair, yeah, with, with the long hair, red hot curry in the, in the days when you'd get people painting slogans on bed sheets do you remember <laughs> yes um, like the, the cup final you know, norman hunter bites your legs and you know uh Lorimer strikes quicker than yorkshire's miners and all that kind of yeah. stuff you know you know red hot curry was one that you might see at oakwell yeah and so, they, they used to show all those games and they used to show um they never showed first division they never showed the top flight they showed second third and fourth yeah but you always got like grimsby huddersfield yeah chesterfield because you could get calendar in chesterfield i think sometimes even mansfield town as well but lincoln maybe hall this yeah, they'd been on, yeah area and it was really good it's only on for about 35 minutes but it was just a regional highlights thing outside the top flight but it was really good and um it was really well done so that was the, the first season i started to watch that is the season that you were covering covering leads in the promotion yeah season, so. yeah that's right yeah uh, it was kind of because televised football was still a rarity, really, wasn't it? Yeah. So any televised football was to be relished. Yes. You know, even if it was a couple of minutes highlights of Grimsby versus Lincoln, you still yeah. wanted to be part of it. Exactly. You didn't, you didn't get, I mean, any real televised football. I mean, the, the days of live first division football had just started then, had it? Or was that well, got, ITV got the highlights. Yeah. And sorry, they got all the all the exclusive rights then. So they did the match on a sunday That's and then right. they'd show you the goals at half time or afterwards and match of the day just had i think fa cup but um yeah. yeah i don't think they had a game it wasn't always every sunday if i remember no right. it wasn't no no and then um, sometimes they started i mean when it when they got the rights their first game was in the middle of october they didn't yeah. show any games at first and then um, yeah, so you were still limited, as you said. You got sports night, midweek sports special were there, and you lapped it up. That's what you did. You lapped it up. So when, so were you there then at Ellen Road when? Well, they went. I think it was Bournemouth. They were promoted. That was away. Yeah, Bournemouth. Bour they, they they were away at Bournemouth. Yeah, that was the last game. Yeah, um, this game there was a no, lot of problems was fighting on the beach and stuff, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, I, I I wasn't there for that. Um, the sports editor was a guy called Tim White. So he he. He was we sort of alternate, do one and then the other, you know. And he he, he was at Bournemouth. So I've been back, back in the studio. Well, I must have been, yeah. He, I was back in the studio. So, but yeah, uh, yeah I do remember that. They, I think Lee Chapman scored and they won one nothing and got yeah. that was it. They got they got promoted. But you know, it was it was a tough seat. It was well, it's still tough to get out of that division. But it was very tough to get out of that division. Then I mean, Newcastle were pushing them most of the time yeah. as well. So Oldham, Oldham were on the cup runs, and they were a good team as well. Yeah, they were a good team. Yeah, so so they they managed. They did. They they lost at home to Barnsley Leeds towards the back end. Mel Machin was the Barnsley manager, and yeah. I I was I must admit I had a little bit of a smile about that because I was still on the soft spot for Barnsley and yeah. you know whilst it would have been good for me if Leeds had got promoted which they did get promoted but it seemed as though Barnsley had almost scuppered it, it certainly put a spanner in the works yeah. late on when they won they won 2-1 at Ellen Road in the sort of like maybe the third game from the end of the season but Leeds managed to hang on and get promoted yeah so were you covering them then in that first season when they went up because they famously yes. played Everton I think was the first game when they yeah, had Neville Southall sat, sat down at half time, leant against the goalposts. Yeah, they was, did. That was, that was the first happened. game. It was Everton away. Yeah, Leeds yeah. started off at Goodison Park. Yeah. Um, yeah, they did well that first season. They finished fourth, which yeah. was like, you know, quite an achievement. And it still would be an achievement for a promoted team to, you know, go yeah, up yeah, and finish fourth, down. obviously. Uh, yeah, I, I remember they, they played Man United in the League Cup semi final. That yeah, was that I year, went, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, United, I think, won both those legs. Yeah, they did. Yeah, maybe two-one at Old Trafford, and then won one-nil at uh, Elland Road. Yeah, 
Right, so, in the last minute. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, later of Leeds United, of course. Yeah. But, um, you know, so it was a good season, both in regards to the league and that good uh, cup run in the League Cup to get close to getting into the League Cup final. So they were, they were clearly going in the right direction. You know, you know things were happening. You know, they were, they were awakening from their slumbers. And not only they got back into the top division, they were mixing it with the big hitters like United and Liverpool. Yeah, and also as well, although... Wilkinson had this reputation of being like long ball and things like that. Leeds were not playing like that at all. They got um, obviously Gary Speed was coming through. Gary McAllister was there, wasn't he? Then as well. Yeah, McAllister was there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had some. They had some very good players. They, they were a good side. You know, let, let's they get it right. Side, yeah. You know, you know, people talk about the league season about you know Man United collapsing, and, but over the forty-two games, Leeds were extremely good. They were a good side. You know, they had, yeah. they had uh, Mel Sterling and Tony Jurigo were two attacking full-backs. Uh, Chris Fairclough and Chris White were very good centre-backs. Yeah. And you mentioned the midfield there. McAllister was there, Stracker. McAllister, at that point, was emerging as one of the most cultured you know, midfielders mm. in the top division, without a yeah. question. Gary Speed was, you know, just coming into the team and clearly going to be an elite-level player. David Batty was brilliant at what David Batty did, yeah. you know. Get hold of the ball off the opposition and give it to someone better than him, namely usually Strachan or McAllister. Yeah, and Lee, Lee, Lee Chapman scored a lot of goals. Rod yeah. Wallace had joined the club. He was, you know, very effective alongside Chapman. They were a good side. One man I think doesn't seem to get any mention yet. He he ought to do really when you look at his record because he won two titles with two different clubs. John Lukic signed, of course, didn't he? Because David Seaman yeah. went to Arsenal and Lukic. He never really gets a lot of mention like that. And I'm sure if he played for your team, you were quite happy with him in the goal. No, he, he was a very back, solid goalkeeper. No, of course not. No, he, he was a very accomplished goalkeeper, John Lucas. Yeah. And as you say, doesn't really tend to get mentioned, even by maybe Leeds fans when they go through in a nostalgic manner the team of 91-92. And Lucas wouldn't be the first name that people would talk about in conversation. But he was very, very solid. And Leeds were very good defensively. But it, they weren't exclusively as side as people might think under Wilkinson, where they were jagging 1-0s. I mean, I remember them going to Aston Villa and annihilating them, I think, 4-1. I think they beat Sheffield yeah. Wednesday and were like 6-1 away from home yeah. with a really swashbuckling route where they just went to them for 90 minutes and took them to the cleaners. So they had some great right. wins, particularly on the road. I think both of those games might have been live on TV. because They I were, remember- yeah. I remember the Villa one because Les Seeley, Les Seeley made about three or four excellent saves for Villa to keep the score down. They could have they could have got another six in that game. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people yeah. thought there's something here now because they're starting to win, but win away from home with these big wins, and they were playing counter-attacking football. And um, and obviously that season, then they played um, United twice in the league, and they drew both times, and they also. Met in both cups. They did, yeah. Within space of about ten days, they played three times. Yeah, they they, they did. It was like a big triple header for us. Yeah. Uh, at Radio Air, and we were doing stuff in tandem with uh, Piccadilly Radio in Manchester. Yeah. Uh, they drew. Yeah. They, they they were all those three games were at Ellen Road, by the way. That's right. They they drew with Man United in the league at Ellen Road. I think Mel Sterling might have scored for Leeds, and then <laughs> they played in the League Cup where they lost. I think that might have been the quarter final. And then they played in the FA Cup and they lost again 1-0. Yeah, that's right. So, so United had certainly had the better of those games with yeah. a draw away from home in the league and the two cup wins away from home. And as the season went on, I don't, I don't remember ever thinking, really, until the very end, that Leeds were going to win the league. I, I all, in my head, looking back, I think my recollection is that Man United were always in control. And I didn't expect Leeds. I couldn't see how Leeds were going to wrest control from Man United. Until they suddenly lost at Man United, that is, suddenly lost at home to Nottingham Forest. On Easter Monday, yeah. That's right. And then off the back of that, they then almost inexplicably lost to West Ham, who finished bottom. Mm. You know, with some bloke that no one had heard of called Kenny Brown, scored the goal, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I mean, Kenny Brown, now, if he walked into any pub in Leeds, would still get drinks lined up on the bar <laughs> until yeah, closing sorry, time. No, in, yeah. not, not in certain parts of Manchester, he wouldn't. Know, no, he no. wouldn't there, Gary, no. But, I mean... <laughs> If they recognised him, of course. <laughs> no, I mean, but, you know, Kenny Brown in Leeds, certainly for a, a week or so, was probably as famous as any of the Leeds United players that we've just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and then at that point, when they when they lost that midweek game at uh, Upton Park, 
that's what I, I think I thought, well, hold on a bit. Leeds, Leeds are going to do it. Yeah. Because then they had complete control of the situation with two games left, didn't they? And one was away at Sheffield United, I think at home to Norwich, was it the last game maybe, which, which in the end became irrelevant. But yeah. even if it had been relevant, you would have fancied Leeds to have won that game, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Unless with the pressure on the well, nerves got to them. But normally, yeah, they'd have been favourites to win that. Just, just going back then to that season, obviously... Um, Lee Chapman was injured, I think, in one of the United matches, the cup games, and I think he was out for a while. I don't know if he broke his arm or something, and he was out for a, for a little while. And of course, there was a man who arrived in Yorkshire who went to Sheffield Wednesday for a for a little while for a trial. Yeah, and they wanted to give him another chance to prove himself, and he walked out, and he ended up at Allen Road, and that's of course Eric Cantona. Eric Cantona, as, as Howard yes. Wilson called him. As you told yeah. me before, yeah. <laughs> Eric Cantona. Yeah. I've signed Eric Cantona, yeah. as he said to us in an interview. Now, the story here is quite ludicrous, really, because uh, he came over for a trial and he played an indoor game. That's right. Uh, that must have been for Shepherd Wednesday. Yeah, and I, I went to that game because I had a mate called Eamon who was doing club call and he couldn't go. And he said, can you come and do this game for us for club call, Shepherd Wednesday club call? I said, all right, so I turned, he said, we've got to do you know, this Eric Cantona story. And uh, so I went to do that. And they were, it's funny what you do remember, because memories can be, you know, obviously a bit flaky. But they yeah. were playing a team, as I recall, called Baltimore Blast. Oh, right. I mean, you know, so if, if ever you get asked in a pub quiz, who was Eric Cantona's first game for in the UK against? It was against Baltimore Blast. Anyway, so they played this game and there was nothing really extraordinary about it at all so and Sheffield Wednesday of course thought they were going to sign him or maybe were considering signing when Wilco swooped yeah literally just snatched snatched his signature from under their nose and suddenly from being on trial with Sheffield Wednesday he was at Ellen Road putting pen to paper yeah and that first season you know he he, he was a bit part player you know he scored he's, you know he, he was involved but the narrative may still be in certain quarters that that Cantona had helped Leeds win the title, which is a little bit disingenuous because the rest of the players that had done the whole season had done done the hard yards. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I, Eric, I Eric came in as Eric came in as Eric does, you know, swaggered around a bit, scored you know, scored the odd goal, turned up on the uh, balcony at the Leeds Town Hall and said, I love you. Why I love you I don't know, but I love yes. you, you know. And th that 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 was edited into all sorts of pieces of music in Leeds. Yeah, there was a record. Yeah, it came out. Yeah, there was a record. Yeah, it came out. So yeah, I've still got the CD probably somewhere up upstairs in the loft, you know. But it, but you know, but he, he, as as you're fully aware, he had the panache, he had the pizzazz, he had yeah. the charisma. You know, it was difficult not to fall in love with Cantona and everything he stood for. You know, if you like swashbuckling football, you know, played with a swagger, then there's been few finer examples of that than Eric Cantona. Yeah, and the Leeds fans fell in love with him, obviously, and. You know, he, he then scored a hat-trick in the Charity Shield Yep. Uh, on, on the following August, as it would have been, on a baking hot day at Wembley. Uh, and then, of course, it all went sour in the end. And But that's another thing where history's been rewritten a little bit, because I, at the time, I, 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 I don't recall, as we sit back and look at it now in 2024, too many people saying that Wilco has lost the plot no. in, in booting him out. There were stories of like him turning up late for the bus to away games, and Wilco was saying, what are you doing any time getting on the bus? And he'd say, no, you're not, you're going home. Mm. And I don't know how true those stories were, but those were always the stories that were doing the rounds. And yeah. I think most people thought, well, hang on, Howard Wilkinson knows what he's doing. And if he needs discipline, he's got to get this bloke out. Yeah, sure. And of course, he had the reputation already from France. It was already called the, Hebler. He so was, yeah. just thought that he was just going to be just this bad boy, stay for six months, go somewhere else for six months. And I remember turning on the teletext, me and my dad, and then we saw that he'd signed or was signing for Manchester United, and it was a complete shock. And I just thought, what are they doing? Why would they want to touch him? Why? Yeah. But there's more to it than meets the eye. The story's always peddled that Leeds wanted Dennis Irwin and Ferguson just plucked his name out of the air. I don't know how true that is because I also heard someone say on a podcast that um, Ferguson was already well aware with him, of him because he had a a friendship with Gerard Houllier, who 
loved Cantona, who thought he was just misunderstood. And Michel Platini as well had said to him, mm. just needs to be loved. He just needs his place, his stage to be himself. And um, I think that stuck in Ferguson's mind. I don't think it was just that. And when United played Leeds before, Cantona, I think it was a sub, and Pallister and Bruce were raving about him and said, yeah. that, what, it's just, there's nothing like this player in this league. And um, so all these things, it wasn't just, I don't think he to the moment, I think Ferguson was already probably thinking about it and keeping his eye on the situation anyway. So Yeah, I mean, I mean, the story's gathered its own momentum, hasn't it? About, yeah. you know, all, all that you've just outlined there. And that's the kind of narrative that's normally peddled out when yeah. anything to do with Leeds transferring Cantona to Man United is mentioned. Yeah. But, you know, you'd have to say that when you look at the history of the clubs in the time after that transfer, Manchester United got the better of it. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's, li there's, little, there's little doubt about that, is there? You know, no. uh, you know, and in, in fact, you know, just as Leeds and Howard Wilkes have got the better, you'd say, of the Strachan transfer. Yeah, completely. You know, yeah, so exactly. it's not an exact science transferring players. You know, even even the great managers like Alec Ferguson, Howard Wilkinson, Arsene Wenger, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, they get some wrong. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, it, it's not very, it's not an exact science. You can sign a player that you think is going to be sensational. It doesn't work. And that happens sometimes. And, you know, United got the better of that deal for sure. Yeah, but like you say, they got um, Leeds got a great deal with Strachan and that paid off and they made history that they never expected either. Um, so how long did you stay with Radio Air for in Leeds? Uh, stayed there until, uh, let me see, 1998. I left there in 1998. Uh, they got fed up of me. You'd have to ask them why. They thought I was a nuisance. All right. <laughs> I'm a bit. I'm a bit of a. I'm a bit of a. Oh, I, I could probably compare myself to Eric Cantona here, Gary, couldn't I? I'm a bit yeah. of a maverick. Maverick. <laughs> not not quite in, in Eric's class, but uh, you know. So my maverick tendencies tended to uh, irk a few people anyway. So they got rid of me, and it was just before the um, the uh, World Cup in France in 1998, yeah. where I watched, I think, every game bar half of one match and kind of went round the hostelries of Leeds watching football for yeah. however many weeks that tournament lasted. And then when it ended and uh, my wager on Brazil went south in the final, I thought, I better yeah. get another, I'm going to have to get a job here. So not for the first time I hit lucky there because... The guy that ran the news operation at Piggly Radio, a guy called John Pickford, ran me up and he said, why have you left Radio Air? So they've got the fired me, John. He goes, well, that's a bit odd. He goes, do you want to come uh, come and work for me in Manchester? I said, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. He said, well, Steve Bauer, who's doing our football commentary, uh, now doing a lot of stuff for the BBC and various other outlets, yeah, yeah. had gone to work for MUTV. So that's Steve right. had just left. He said, Steve's left and we need a commentator for Man United games. And uh, so I said, oh, yeah, well, count me in then. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a bit of that. Sounds good. Obviously, United, you know, from losing that title to Leeds, had become the kings of the castle, hadn't they, as the 90s progressed. And as anybody even with a cursory knowledge of Manchester United will remember, season 98-99 worked out quite well for Manchester United. Yeah, just a bit. Yeah. So I, I, I was in in the start with, but it was probably October now, something like that, 98-99 season, doing the... Uh, commentaries on United away games and some reports on the home games and uh, working in tandem with Paddy Querand. Oh, so, wonderful. So I had a lot of fun memories of that. I mean, I, I, I you know, Pat is uh, highly strung would be a diplomatic way of putting it. He can be quite vociferous in his opinions and can get quite agitated with things. I'll tell you a story about a trip to Coventry City in a bit. But um, and I, very, I, passionate, I, very passionate about Manchester oh, United. Oh, passionate to some <laughs> tune, yeah. And I enjoyed his company. It was great fun. but uh, And we had some great trips on, uh, on away games on the road. And we'd go with uh, Wilf McGuinness was doing Man, uh, Radio Manchester. He was good fun as well, by the way. And Arthur Alberston used to be doing some stuff for them as well. And, you know... It, you know and that was the first kind of time, you know, because I, I mentioned the 1977 FA Cup final and stuff like that, watching United and supporting United. And you're thinking, God, Arthur Orbison sat in the seat next yeah, to me. This is incredible. You know, so I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with Paddy Crerand. And, you know, and United obviously were going great guns. And it was a great it was a great season and great fun. So that was a great time of, uh, of my career. 
so when you were when you were there working with paddy um did you get into any different situations because like you say he's he's quite opinionated and he's a man who well, never backs down is he i believe no well let me let me tell you about the trip to come as the season was progressing obviously and the, it was getting you know quite tight at the top of the league you know between man united and arsenal and chelsea were involved as well yeah, as i recall really. you know and, and maybe only just dropped away towards the very end and there was we were doing the commentary on these games and uh we were down at highfield road coventry and united uh scored late there and managed to managed to hang on to win i, I can't remember was it was it a cole or york or something i can't remember i might be misremembering anyway they won one nil it was a late goal anyway where we were doing the radio there was a small partition and then it was the coventry fans mm. so you were quite close to the, the the coventry fans and um you know they were they, they were getting quite obviously i was getting quite animated as, as united hung, hung on to uh you know infuse the uh radio piccadilly listeners back in manchester and the united had hung on and this was a big win and you know yeah. crucial three points now for alec ferguson's boys and they they were getting a bit annoyed with that obviously and then uh, they uh, obviously as you say pat was very passionate about things and they were starting having a pop at him anyway so the full-time whistle goes and united have won and and i'm just trying to wrap up saying you know they, they, they win one deal and they stay you know a point there at the top or whatever it was you know and that could be a priceless victory come the end of the season and then suddenly i know notice to my left where paddy's sitting there's a bit of bit of like of a altercation going on and there's, I can see now three or four Coventry City supporters are trying to climb over the partition to get at Paddy Creran. And and I can hear I can, I can hear Paddy going, I'll take you all on, I'll take you all on. <laughs> now, at this point, Paddy is probably giving these guys about a 30-year, 40-year head start, and there's three or four of them, and there's just yeah. one of him. And then he's and then I can hear him going, Come on, come on. You're braving a crowd. You're braving a crowd. I'll take you on. Come on, then. You're very brave in a crowd, aren't you? And then, from the row in front, I can now see Big Frank Stapleton, who's doing Radio Manchester, clambering over to pull Paddy Crerand off. Oh, right. He wasn't going to give him a dig out, then. He wasn't no. going to help him. I'm, st I'm still on air going, just leave it, Paddy. Just leave it. Leave it. It's not worth it. Come on, just leave it. Just leave it. And, and Big Frank's pulling him off. <laughs> pulling this pulling him away from him and trying to push these guys back and say, come on, lads, let's leave it alone. Come on. I mean, it was unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But, you know, we somehow escaped. Man United escaped with the three points and we escaped with our limbs intact as Paddy, Paddy Crerand was pulled away from the scene. Uh, you know, but he, he could he could be, uh, well, as you say, very passionate and he wouldn't back down in an argument. If someone yeah. started insulting Man United, well, that was it. You know, as as plenty of people could uh, give testimony to, but it was you know looking back now, it's quite funny. But at the time, I thought, God, what was if they you know crack his head open or something? Yeah. How were the club with with um, local radio at the time? Because the club can have quite a love hate relationship with the local media in Manchester. Sometimes the Manchester Evening News has been yeah in and out of love with the club, etc. So how was it? How was the relationship with the club? When you well, were in that the... you mentioned you mentioned the Manchester Evening News, but in those days it was the great David Meek. Of course, yeah, the legend, yeah. the legendary David Meek. Yes, you know, and uh, I remember going on foreign trips to Barcelona and stuff, and you know, being in awe of being in the company of David Meek with yeah. his vast knowledge, you know, of Manchester United and football in general. And it was great to sort of try and soak up some of David's knowledge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Alec Ferguson, as you could probably guess, could could be abrasive. Quite often when they'd lost, he'd be more receptive and more accommodating. Strangely enough, I don't know why that was, but he could be abrasive and he wanted to keep you. I, I've always felt that Sir Alec wanted to keep you under control. Yeah. You know, to let to let you know that, you know, who was boss here and, you know, where you should fit into the scheme of things. And all all of us had run-ins at some point. And, you know, that and that and that continued right until he retired, you know, even with the most senior of journalists that he would Yeah. You know, uh, there was a time he was doing a press conference. Now, I might have got the two Custises mixed up here, but either Neil Custis or Sean Custis was in the press conference and asked um, Alec Ferguson a question. And the response from the Man United manager was, what are you doing here? You're bad. I barred you two weeks ago. 
<laughs> and whichever of the Custises it was said, no, no, Alec, that was my brother you banned. I'm Sean Custis. You banned Neil Custis. Neil's barred. I'm still allowed to turn up. And, you know, Ferguson wouldn't didn't back down even then. Yeah. You know, you'd expect him to say, sorry about that, Neil. Got, got you mixed up there. Sorry, Sean. No, got you mixed up. Instead, the great man's response was simply to say, yeah, too many effing Custises. <laughs> As if to say, I may be wrong, but I'm still right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, you're all bad. So you're all, you're all bad. You know, but you know, I I grew to quite enjoy it, any kind of verbal jab. I mean, he 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 had a right pop at me in that season. We mentioned the '99 season. One of the failures, if not the only failures, when they got knocked out of the League Cup. Yeah, Tottenham. When they lost to Tottenham, and David Ginola ran absolute riot. I mean, it was like a one-man masterclass, and and Man United were taken apart by the Frenchman. They had a, they had a youngish side out. Anyway, so after the match, the, there's an all press conference. So in comes Alec Ferguson and the London media are waiting for him. You talk about, you know, a love-hate relationship with the media. Well, it was a hate-hate relationship with the London media with Alec Ferguson in the main. And so they were waiting for him because this was the chance. You know, Man United had been caned by Spurs and they were going to go at it. Anyway, so I was doing Piccadilly Radio and he would do radio interviews afterwards. But for some reason in my brain, I thought maybe I could help him out by chucking up an underarm here and I don't know why arguably the best football manager in the history of English football needed any help from me but <laughs> I thought so I love some question about blooding young players and again Bonds was not in any way welcoming it was like your radio why are you asking me questions your radio do you later I went, oh sorry about that so then he so we go outside after the press conference and he just tears into me, calling me a big time Charlie. Now, I don't know quite why, but I think he'd referred to David Beckham as a big time Charlie just before that. And he certainly later in the season referred to Paul Ince as a big Paul time Ince Charlie. Is, yeah. That was at Liverpool yeah. when Ince was back playing for Liverpool. So as I look back now, I feel I'm in pretty good company alongside the governor and David Beckham. <laughs> so, but he absolutely ripped, ripped into me, you know, and it, I just felt it was probably, this is, you know, being told right you you know your place here just ask questions when i tell you and that's the end of it you know yeah. and in interviews he'd famously tap at his watch and cough you mm. know and that would indicate that is his last question yeah um so i i felt from then that well it can't get much worse than this so you know i'll, I'll be all right if that's the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me speaking to a football manager i've got yeah. it out of the way early doors exactly so when i when i end up going to sky they, quite often on Sky Sports News, they asked you to ask a question of the day mm. and whatever that topic may be. And I, I had got the uh, gig of doing Man United at the time. He, he, he banned Rob Palmer, who really went on to went on to do Sky's, uh, you know, La Liga yeah, yeah. Uh, commentary. Anyway, Rob had been was doing Man United at the time for Sports News, and well, Rob had been banned by Sir Alex. And so I got the dreaded phone call. You're doing Man United Friday. Go to Carrington. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So I get that. And the question of the day is about they're playing West Ham United, yeah. and it's when Joe Cole was there and Lampard, uh, Michael Carrick probably. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there are a lot of good young English players. So it was about that was the question of the day. So I so I get this. This is the question of the day, and I'm there saying to the guys at Sports News. You want me to ask Alec Ferguson about prospects for England? I said, he can't stand England, quite understandably. He's the most passionate Scot you could ever meet. Yeah. I said, I might as well go in there and start swearing at him. Yeah. Anyway, so I, they had said I had to do it. Anyway, so I went in and I asked him. I asked, I threw it into the right of the back end and he, he just get grunted something for about six seconds. I thought, well, I'll have, to, I'll have to ask him again in a different manner. And he grunted something in six seconds again. So I thought, right, okay, let's just try and, swing it in a different way kept asked the same question again in a slightly different manner and he just and this i thought he's either going to blow up and kick me out or it's going to be all right anyway so then he suddenly just he gave it an answer that was a nice answer 25 30 seconds and then smiled and he went there you've got your answer and i thought great great it's all right anyway so I, so i thought I'll, I'll try i'll try a little bit more and i oh. went <laughs> anyway so so i went all right thanks for that alec I was because I always thought I'm going to call him Alec. None of this Sir Alex fawning business. I just always called him Alec because that's what you know he'd be known as in Scotland. So I said, 
Thanks for that, Alex. Should we call that 15 all? And again, Ooh. I thought, it could blow up here or he could swear. And he just, he just laughed and he went, 15 all my ass. You'll never win a game against me. Never. <laughs> and, and offered his hand. So that, oh, right, okay. So that was great. And I thought, well, that's all right. It's worked out all right. He, he appreciated my attempts to, you know, carry on and gave me the answer. And we, we shook hands and it was fine. And I, I was fine with him after that, you know. But I knew that always around the corner there was the possibility that he could revert to type and yeah. give me give me an old one two just for old time's sake. But yeah. you know, gen generally generally I, I found it to be okay. There was one one or two times as I mentioned that he could be quite abrasive. But and same with Howard Wilkinson really. So, you know, they 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 knew you knew where you were in the food chain, but generally they respected that you had to do your job, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, they knew you were trying to do a job. So how did the Sky stuff come about in the first place? How did you move from Piccadilly to Sky? Uh, well, the, the Piccadilly thing, I mentioned it was a great, obviously a great season for United, but by the end, as it got towards the end, Piccadilly's budget was running light. And so I didn't actually do the European Cup knockout games away from home. So I didn't go to uh, Inter Milan and I didn't go to Juventus and I didn't go much to my chagrin to the new Camp. Yeah. Although I had gone to the new Camp in the season for the uh, the group game, which was three all, wasn't it? I think from That's memory. Right, yeah. So I had some great trips in the in the group games to Munich and to Barcelona and to Copenhagen, where they played Bromby. Yeah. So, um, but I didn't do the knockout game. So at the end of the season, that was it for Piccadilly. It was a, it was a one season wonder for me, and then then I had to start sniffing around for a job. And I, I, I'd been doing some freelance stuff for Sky before yeah. while I was at Radio Air. So I just took a punt and wrote a letter to uh, Vic Wakeling, who was then the MD of Sky Sports, one of the, the great sports broadcast administrators, yeah. you, know, the, uh, you know, and still revered throughout sports broadcasting in the UK to this day, and certainly at Sky. And Vic said, we're just launching a, a new channel called Sky Sports News. Ring this guy up uh, and say that I sent you. So that I got in there. That was the start of Sky Sports News, 99 yeah. time. And there was a load of us starting there. Dave Clark had gone to be uh, you know reading reading Sky Sports News. One of the yeah. presenters, Stuart Pike, who is still a great friend of mine to this day, was at uh, Piccadilly, and he went to work for Sky Sports News at the same time. So there was loads of us starting off this new channel, and it was great fun. So that's how it started. And um, you said then, obviously, you you were then responsible for covering United, etc. But also, you you worked with Soccer Saturday as well, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did Soccer Saturday games. Yeah, how was that? Reports. Oh, I enjoyed it. I loved it. Yeah, it was it was it was great fun. It was really helter skelter, helter skelter stuff. You know, very quick fire kind of stuff. And it, you know, I look back on those days very fondly. And it was great to be able to sort of say Jeff at the end of every sentence because <laughs> Stelling, Stelling even then was revered as the as the absolute doyen of sports broadcasters. So, you know, uh, it, it it was great. You know, and it, it didn't matter where you were. You know, Bradford versus Rochdale or. You know, it was always the lower league games, obviously, but you know, yeah. championship or championship down. But it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. It was it was really hectic kind of stuff, as was sports news. But you know, there were great times. When you were doing Soccer Saturday, then did they just give you a, a plan in advance, like four weeks in advance, and say this is where you're going, or was it all last minute? Or when did you find uh, out these games you were covering? In between the two, really, it was Monday or Tuesday. Uh, you know. Carly Bassett would ring you up and say, can you go to Barnsley versus Blackpool this yeah. weekend? You know, you know, so it, it was probably about five. It was on the Monday or the Tuesday before the Saturday's matches. So, And also as well, it was it was all done like down a phone line, I think, wasn't it? It was quite a crackly line sometimes when you were doing uh, the, the, Some of them were phone lines and then they had what was newfangled in those days, ISDN oh, kits, oh, which was like studio quality... Uh, lines from studio from the studio to the football yeah. ground i mean obviously everything now is far more complex technologically than it was then yeah. you know it, was still, it wasn't quite two cans and a piece of string as it was at radio <laughs> air but but you know the, the way that broadcasting is developed technically is astonishing really yeah i don't know if anybody will pick up on that there's a fighter jet just flown straight over my house just as you're explaining that rod so that probably won't get edited out but we'll leave it in it makes it pure that some um Fighter jets just flown over at oh, right. great speed and made a lot of noise. So if that picks up, um, 
people understand why. So what's some of your, your favourite memories of working on Soccer Saturday and Sky Sports News? Uh, well, I mean, Jeff, Jeff's, I mean, Jeff, you don't need me to tell you, Jeff Stanley is a consummate professional and he would have every stat to his at his fingertips or at the back of his mind, just ready to yeah. file down into his mouth to say. And it, it was always, it always quite amused me that he'd say, right, so let's go now to Bradford City versus Barnsley, where Bradford haven't scored at home for the last three games. Barnsley have won their last six on the road. Uh, whoever it is, let's say David Curry scored in his last three games. And I think he may well have got another one, Rod. Well, thanks for that, Jeff. You've just explained exactly what's gone on. It's 1-0 to Barnsley. Done my job. Yeah, done my job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Jeff would have all the stats, you know, and you'd, you'd go and swap it all up. And you'd just hope that maybe Jeff wouldn't trot out every stat you have in the introduction so you could make it look as though you'd done some work. Yeah. But, you know, so, but it, it, it was all great fun. And it was sports news, you were, you were here, there and everywhere. I mean, I, I was doing most of the, either in the Yorkshire or the Northwest, you know, and it was great because you'd go to... Um, like Man United and do Ferguson on a Thursday. Then on the Friday, you might have to go to Liverpool and interview David Moyes, who was probably still at Everton at the time. Or you might yeah. go up to Middlesbrough, Gareth Southgate. I remember doing interviews with him quite often when he was the Middlesbrough manager. So it was a lot of running around. You know, you were you were constantly on the move and on the cutting edge. That's when, you know, sports news was the way. That was the first place you found out if someone had been sacked or yeah. someone was injured and wouldn't play at the weekend. It was in the days when before the internet was a big thing and before Twitter was a big thing. So the place to find out the news was Sky Sports News. Exactly. And so yeah. you really felt you were at the cutting edge, really, at the, at the sharp end of all the news that was happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember with Soccer Saturday as well, as you said, because the internet wasn't a big thing and no social media. I remember we went on a lads weekend and we just sat in a pub in Dublin just watching Soccer Saturday. We all went to the bookies and put silly bets on. And um, like you say, Rochdale might have been at home to, um, I don't know, Cambridge or something, and we got Rochdale to win 2-1 just for just for a joke, just yeah. so we could watch Soccer Saturday with a bit of interest. But that was it, and that was, like you say, that was the fastest way to find out there'd been a goal. Sky Sports News had all the exclusives for, like you say, a sacking or a transfer, the breaking news. So it was a, a massive, massive thing. Now, before we finish, I've got to ask you because it's it's because very topical as well because I've just had the world championship. I've got to ask you about darts. You can't you can't come on even though it's retro football. I've got to ask you about yeah. darts. How did you get into darts? Uh, well, the darts in uh, two thousand and nine when I was, I was still doing a lot of Sky Sports news. Uh, I'd just been to watch Northwich play. I was back at my parents' house. I was just sat on the sofa having a cup of tea when the phone went. And it was a guy called Dave Clark, who I've already mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, Dave, what's happening? He goes, I'm ringing to see if you fancy doing a bit of darts. I went, right. I said, I sort of thought, thought about it for about maybe a nanosecond. and went, yes. And he, went, and he said, right, there's a tournament coming up in Bolton. Helen Chamberlain usually does the interviews, but she's not available. Can you come and do it? Yeah. So I, I went and did that in 2009. So it was all from knowing Dave Clark from Capital Radio, from the Radio Air Days, really. Yeah. So I went and did that at Bolton in uh, June 2009. Then I did the World Match Play in Blackpool in July 2009, started doing a bit of commentary, and it kind of snowballed from there. Were you interested in darts before yeah. then? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I watched a lot of darts, yeah. yeah. Again, if it was retro darts, I'd be talking about Eric Bristow and Jockey Wilson and John yeah. Lowe from the 1980s. So I was still watching a lot. Me and Pikey used to go... To tournaments to watch before either of us watched uh, we were working on the darts so we'd go to blackpool and watch the match play in the early to mid 2000s yeah and just have a few beers and watch the darts so yeah i was already a fan of it so well that's good so then. This, it wasn't you didn't have to no, wing it you didn't no, have, have to, to wing. No, <laughs> i didn't have to i didn't have to wing it well some of it was winging it because in the first gig in bolton they, they played on the main stage and they played games on outside boards so it was all happening at once and i had to bring the uh, viewers up to date with what was going on but i mean when i turned up at a board there was always someone there from sky who would say well this is what's happened so far so i could sound like i knew what had happened yeah. even though i was really just bluffing it and my big fear was that the executive producer rory hopkins would say right well just commentate on what's happening now which is so then i can hear in the uh, in the headset right telling sid waddell it was a big thrill to work with Sid, obviously, by the way. And yeah. so, so Sid, tell Rod to start commentating on what's happening on board number six now. And, I, and I'm thinking, right, well, I can't actually see the board because the light shining on the board is for the players, not for me sat 10 yards away. Yeah. So I'm having to guess from players' reactions where the dart's gone. 
you know, and just kind of <laughs> that was winging it. Like I, I knew it had gone in the double if they celebrated, but if it didn't go in the double, I had to then look at their reaction again and what are they aiming at now. So I managed to bluff my way through it to a sufficient degree to get the commentary gig at the next tournament. So it worked out all right at the end. I mean, you mentioned Sid Waddell there as well. I mean, he was synonymous with darts for such a long time and his unique commentary style. What, what was he like off camera? Was he eccentric and lively off camera? Was that uh, just a... Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, that, that was not some kind of uh, character he adopted. That was yeah. Sid Waddell. Yeah. You know, the, he was manic. He was, you know, oh, effervescent. I mean, you, you know, as you'd expect. I mean, I remember going to a, into the press room once and uh, at the World Championship, and Sid's knee-deep in stats and books and pieces of paper, which he'd scribble on. He'd scribble on backs of envelopes, but he'd always wanted to pull out the statistic that he wanted, even though it just looked like gibberish or hieroglyphics to anyone else. And he was muttering and mumbling to himself. And I said, Sid, what are you doing? He went, I'm practicing my ad-libs. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I like it. I like it. I shall, I shall do that myself. Practicing my ad libs, you know, so quite a lot of the stuff that Sid came out with that, you know, you think that's off the top of his head. It wasn't off the top of his head at all. Yeah. He'd not only scripted it, but he'd rehearsed it, you know, yeah. to, to get it right, the intonation right. So, but I mean, he he was like one of a kind. There's no question about that. You know, a great, you know, wordsmith, but yeah. the most widely educated man you could ever wish to meet, you know, Oxbridge graduate, you know, with a with a vast knowledge of all sorts of topics from ancient history to politics to sport and you could sit and uh, chew the fat with uh, Sid Waddell for many hours in a bar and be entertained on any number of subjects yeah well I mean, he used to bring in ancient history and yes. politics and stuff to his commentary and it bring somebody a comparison and probably only two percent of the audience even knew he was talking about. yeah Alexander, Alexander the Great or something yeah yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely but I, I'm very great. I'll always be very grateful to him as well because he created Jossie's Giants. He did, yeah. He did indeed, absolutely. Yeah. Terrific TV series, you know. I used you know, to since started off as a TV series. producer and writer, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know for many, many years until I was an adult that he, he wrote it. And then, um, obviously, people often talk about it now and mention it as if it's new information. But... Um, I loved it. I used to watch it. I never missed an episode. And of course, you could tell it was written by a Newcastle fan because there was a lot of black and white in there, and the main yeah, yeah. was a big Geordie and everything. And so you could see it was it was written with a big passion for Newcastle United as well, which Sid had, didn't he? So oh, very much so, yeah. Yeah. And um just before we, we finish, then um when when you um when you're doing the darts. Is, is there sometimes some football crossover or some of the darts players big football fans or? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, quite a few of them actually, to be fair. I mean, Chris Dobie is a massive Newcastle fan and, you know, he went he went back to Newcastle. Uh, I'm just trying to think which tournament it would have been. It must have been um, when we were in either Leicester or Wolverhampton in October or November. Yeah. And he was in the tournament, he won the match and then he went straight back up to Newcastle on the next day must have been a Tuesday or Wednesday, to watch Newcastle play in the Champions League and then came back to play in the darts again on the Thursday night. Yeah. I think I think it might have been the uh, the night they beat Paris. Right. And they yeah. wallop, wallop, walloped Paris Saint-Germain at home. Yeah. So he is, yeah. Nathan Arsenal's Sportsman United, quite a big United fan, so they have a bit of fun together from time to time when Newcastle play United. Uh, there, there was some fun last year when Newcastle were playing Man United in the, uh, the League Cup final. Because Dobie went, Dobie went to that, you know. So, but I mean, and often you will see footballers at the darts. I mean, yeah. Mad Madison, now of Tottenham, then of Leicester, was at the darts quite a lot when we were playing in Leicester. You know, we played a tournament in Leicester in October. So last year, when he he was still at Leicester, he, he was he was at the darts. So you see him quite a lot at the darts. And other players too, particularly in in London for the World Championship, when they may have a a day or two off that you might see the Tottenham players or the Brentford lads or something down at uh, the Alexandra Palace. Yeah. Brilliant. And let's just bring it back to football just to finish then. Just just tell me one of the, the best memories you've got as a football fan and also your best memories working in football. So two different things for you to find. As a football fan, your best memory and then your best memory from working on football itself. 
Well, as a football fan, it would definitely have to be uh, Norfolk Victoria winning the FA Trophy in 1984. I mentioned it briefly yeah. uh, earlier on when they beat Bangor City in a replay at the Victoria ground in Stoke. John Anderson scored the goal in the last minute, and it doesn't get any better than winning a big cup final in the last minute, right. as we've already discussed about Man United. So that's definitely the best. Oh, and and and, and alongside that, even though they're not my team, I just felt obviously they're my dad's team, Bristol Rovers, that seven nil scum thought when they got promoted in the most ludicrously unlikely circumstances was a tremendous afternoon as well. You know, so I I, re- I really enjoyed that afternoon. Those are my two favourite memories. Working, I would say it's probably gonna be uh Leeds effectively winning uh, sorry about this, Gary, but Leeds effectively winning the first division championship in ninety two yep. when they they won at Bramall Lane, although yeah. they needed Liverpool to beat Man United or to avoid defeat against Man United later on in the afternoon. But you felt that game had won it. And it was an amazing game when they won 3-2 at uh, Bramall Lane against Sheffield United. And Brian Gale scored a ludicrous own goal. So commentating on that was a magical afternoon, which I still remember very fondly. So working-wise, yeah. it would have to be that. Yeah, brilliant. Rod, it's been superb. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great catching up with you, having a chat, and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Gary. Anytime. No problem at all. All right. Take care. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Huge thanks to Rod for giving his time today. He was a brilliant person to have on, and what a career he's had as well. Some fantastic memories they shared with us there, not just from football, but of course through darts. That's all for today. So... Join me again next time and please don't forget to click on the subscribe button if you enjoyed listening. You'll make sure you get all notifications next time a podcast is out. And also you can check back through the archives. I've got eight other episodes, including interviews with Ellis James, Ian Danter, Elton Wellsby, and of course Kevin Toms as well, and Gary Thompson, who had a great career playing for teams such as Coventry, Aston Villa, West Brom and Sheffield Wednesday. Thanks again for your time. And I'll see you again soon. Thanks a lot. All the best to you. Bye.